there is a peace and a joy in my family that anybody that has gotten to know us over the last couple of years comments on that there is a feeling in our house. And I cry almost daily still because mm-hmm. I know what the feeling was in our house before that. And it was so dark. And it's been eight years now of this pure joy and 10 years really of our marriage getting better. And not for one second am I ever going to forget where we came from. And that God was never away from us during that period. I see that now. I see that when I had no connection to him, when I wasn't turning to him, he was still right there. He was just waiting. Mm. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 60. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking about me and God. Have you ever wondered if people really can change? I'm here to tell you that they can and that they do. And I'm living proof of this. For 20 years of my life, I was not the woman that you have come to know. And I think it's time that I share my story. But first, we love bringing the Modern Lady Podcast to you every week. It truly is a labor of love. All we ask in return is that if you haven't yet taken just a few minutes to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use, we would appreciate you doing that so much. Your comments truly mean the world to us. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website as well at www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com. Or you can always find us on Facebook or Instagram at The Modern Lady Podcast. Just a note here, dear listener, before we begin, that parts of our episode today does deal with a little bit of mature subject matter. And so we just ask once again that you exercise caution and discretion before hitting play and continuing on the journey with us today. When is a reversion really more like a true conversion? In a quote often attributed to St. Augustine, he notes that, quote, there is no saint without a past, no sinner without a future, end quote. And it's that change of heart and radical transformation of a person that is most edifying and inspiring when we hear about their stories. So today we get to hear yours, Lindsay. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm nervous yes. for the first time ever in our <laughs> podcasting. It feels like episode one all over again, but... Yeah, I, I'm really honored to be able to share my story with everybody. And so thank you, Michelle, for doing this. Yeah, you know what, when we when we talked about this and when you brought up that possibly it was time uh, to share your story, it just it felt right for both of us, this timing. And I think we're at a point now um, where we are in the world as a human race, <laughs> mm. as a community of people where we need to hear people's stories right? Yeah. So much of what we need to move forward uh, in in love and in relationships with one another is to truly know people. And God does amazing things in everyone's life and we need to share those stories. And so I'm really happy that we have an opportunity to do this today because I think it's important. And uh, I'm just grateful that you are going to get the ball rolling. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that the message that is most important for me to convey is, like I said in the opening, that people do change. I mean, I guess the 
thing we can look at is like celebrities and politicians and how they're raked over the coals. Um, when they try to express something new, people go back to 20 years ago. We see this, you know, you and I've actually talked about this with Twitter and stuff before where heaven forbid you maybe had a few too many glasses of wine and tweeted an inappropriate joke, like made a mistake like we all do. And it's coming back to haunt you later. And then you lose your job. Like people are mm. forgetting that people absolutely can change radically. And we're not talking about that. And and I want my story, if people know people like how I used to be, um, and you have somebody like that in your life, um, maybe that you care about, and they're not a good person like I used to be, um, know that it's not without hope. And mm. that we can radically transform our lives and become really different people for the better, right? People can change mm -hmm. and for the worse too. But I think that we focus so much on those stories that we forget that a lot of people can really become better people. And mine is truly only through God, with God, um, all good things flow from God. And so I'm going to be talking about God a lot, but which is so funny because I never talked about God. So, right. Um, right? <laughs> and that's what is so funny is that I've had it commented to me a few times where people have been shocked who know me from the past who haven't heard from me in a while that Lindsay Jones, my maiden name, uh, has a podcast on Catholicism. What? <laughs> like people are so shocked. And, and I actually love that. I have done such a 180 that they would be that shocked that that Lindsay Jones can sit here and talk about God. And so that's what I'm going to do right now. Perfect. Yeah. Just this message of nobody is beyond God's mercy, Absolutely. right? Yeah. Nobody is beyond God. And uh, sometimes we can feel a little bit helpless in knowing how to help yes. the people around us, the people that we know, yes. but to know that as much as we love them, mm -hmm. uh, God loves them more Absolutely. and his handprint is all over all of our stories. So um, let's get started with yours. I, I'm really excited to get started. So okay. From the beginning, okay. from the top, take it away. Take it okay. away. Okay. So I am the oldest of three kids. I have two younger brothers. Um, I grew up in a great family. Um, wonderful mom and dad, and they're celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary this April. They have a great wow. marriage. Both of my parents attended church um, every Sunday as kids. My dad was raised united. Uh, his parents were very involved in their church. My grandma taught Sunday school for most of the years. My mom was raised Catholic, um, and so they just both came from very faith-filled faith -filled families. I was born in 1980, and like so many children born in the late 70s, early 80s, um, you know, corresponding with Vatican II or not, there was a, a large movement away from regular mass attendance. And so my parents certainly weren't alone in that. And there was an increase in extracurricular activities and families and just busier lives. And so we did not go to mass when I was a child, aside from Palm Sunday, Ash Wednesday and Easter and Christmas Eve. And so that was, you know, my experience of church. Now I did go to Catholic school from kindergarten until grade 13. And I, I don't want to bash the Catholic school system in Ontario, but I know that mm -hmm. I am not alone mm -hmm. in saying that it didn't serve me well. I didn't learn very much. Now, I do believe that this is different if it's being reinforced in the home. Um, and mm. so while my parents, um, I think, certainly love God and stuff, it just, we didn't do any catechesis at home. Let's just sure. say that. So I, I didn't okay. learn a lot about the faith, right? Um, so that was basically my childhood. When I was about 11 or 12, I was given a voodoo doll and it 
Everybody just Mm -hmm. thought it was cute. It came back on a vacation with a family member. I started researching voodoo at like 11 and 12. And at that time, I would get to the library on my own and get huge stacks of books and read whatever I wanted. And I just really fell into learning about the occult. I was fascinated by the occult at a very young age. At the same time, I started convincing myself that there was black magic and white magic, like good spells and bad spells, and that I could learn all the good stuff, right? The love spells Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing, and that it was completely fine to do that sort of thing. And Mm -hmm. so it started with voodoo, and then it went very quickly into palm reading. And I taught myself how to read palms at a very young age. And Michelle, I am not exaggerating. I could read things on people's palms, adult palms, um, that was shocking that I shouldn't have known about them. Yep. And Mm. so much so that at my Catholic elementary school, I actually did my grade eight class speech on, um, extrasensory perception, spontaneous human combustion, palmistry, um, tarot cards in grade eight in my Catholic school. Yeah. And (laughs) they were so blown away by my ability to read palms that I actually was taken around to the teachers during lunch break and the principal and read all of their palms in my Catholic school. Um, Mm. so nobody ever indicated that there was something maybe not healthy about this. It was encouraged. Um, I I read everybody's palms. Like it became like a party trick, but I'm not Mm -hmm. also going to pretend that I don't think there was a demonic influence there as well, because there were things like people's miscarriages or abortions that I saw in their palms that I asked them privately about. And I was correct with the number and when it happened to them. Yeah. The occult then led obviously to witchcraft. Uh, Wiccanism. And so when I was 13, I really started exploring Wiccanism. And um, I, I found a book or two books at the library that I go to repeatedly that I just was absolutely fascinated about and fascinated by. And it really was this idea of getting in touch with my feminine genius, <laughs> which is oh. so funny how we end up, right? You and I talking yeah. about true femininity, but I was always that hunger for me even then mm. about this idea of what kind of power do I have as a woman? And as a very young girl, I, I was really drawn to the feminine aspect of Wiccanism, to the idea of female goddesses, um, feminine empowerment. And I was just really into Diana, the Huntress Queen, like these female goddesses of, of ancient mythology. One of the things with witchcraft is that it is made very attractive. I feel like every 10 years, a movie comes out or a TV show that makes witchcraft very attractive to teenage girls. Mm-hmm. Now, I started this before the movie The Craft came out, but the movie The Craft came out about two years after I had already started studying witchcraft. And so there was a huge group of women doing that. I would say the same is right now with Sabrina, the the teenage witch, the new yes. version on Netflix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As soon as I saw mm-hmm. the commercials, I'm like, yep, this is exactly going to trigger uh, preteen and teenage girls who are looking for that, that supernatural. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly alluring. And When you're a 13-year-old girl and you're trying to figure out what your role is, especially as you're transitioning to high school and you want to reinvent yourself going into high school, Mm. it's this idea of having this power. So I was always very drawn to having um, a a mystical knowledge or a knowledge that I felt like other people didn't have and drawn to the supernatural. I think 
we'll touch on this later, which is so funny how I ended up as a traditional Catholic because I yeah. found that my desire was fulfilled in that. <laughs> but Ooh, that's foreshadowing. A, right, right. <laughs> um, but that's what I was always looking for. I've always wanted to be different. I've always wanted to spend, I've always, since I was that age, would spend countless hours researching. It was a lot harder before the internet. Um, yeah. So I'd come home with my stack of 10 books. Um, but I always wanted to know stuff that was different than my peers. And so I get into high school. Oh, so right before I go into high school, I, it was time to be confirmed, right? The um, sacrament of confirmation. Mm -hmm. And I already knew I didn't really want to be confirmed. And I had already challenged the school on picking a saint name. I did not want to choose a saint name. I was challenging them. I wanted to use the book of the Bible, Genesis. <laughs> they wouldn't let that happen. <laughs> um, I was just not into it. Like I already knew I didn't um, feel like called to make that decision as an adult within the church in that way. But I went through with it anyways, because you just do. And you just, did. You just mm -hmm. do. And nobody again, talked to me about it. So I get to grade nine and I, I've always been a musician. I love music. Um, I got, I was immediately friends with the long haired musical guys from high school. Like this is again, this is 1994. So it's like the height of grunge mm -hmm. music. And so this is my immediate crew and I'm still studying Wiccanism. And at this time I discovered a musician that changed literally the course of my next 10 years. So I had been playing the piano for many years and like many kids had no desire to play it. Like it really, I, I, I could care less about it. It didn't, it meant nothing to me. And then I stumbled across a music video by a musician in the early nineties named Tori Amos. And she mm. sat straddling seductively a piano bench and was playing a song called Crucify. And it was beautifully shot and her music, she played the piano and sang and it was sultry and it was powerful. And she was like in control of that piano. And it, would, it blew my mind. I was like, mm. okay, I love this. And her message, the message of that song, Crucify, um, she's like, why do we have to crucify ourselves? Every day I crucify myself. Nothing I do is good enough for you. Well, it, it completely fit into that narrative that so mm -hmm. many teenage girls have, right? And yes. it just added so much fuel to the fire for me. So I started playing her songs on the piano and singing her songs and bought um, all of her albums and all of the B-sides and all of the rare discs brought in from Europe and all that kind of thing. Anyways, I went really deep into her music and then all like... I started finding a lot of other music and this is important for me to share because I firmly believe that this is one of the gateways into, um, I don't want to say evil, but I guess I did really go down an evil path, but it furthered my, um, attraction to the dark side and to the occult. I am a writer. I am a reader. And so lyrics don't just pass over my head, right? I am one mm. of those people who like look up the lyrics or read the song notes. And so I paid attention to every lyric of every song and it just was like fueling this rebellious fire within me. So, um, in high school, I was, either liked or hated on whatever particular day, but I think a lot of people knew me. <laughs> I had, uh, there was a lot of rumors about me, um, very, mm. especially about the witchcraft part. And I was always fine with that. I actually loved it. If you're talking about me, then at least I'm on your mm. mind. Like I loved it. Again, it made me feel so different and powerful. 
the only thing that really got me through high school was um, having a best friend that I met in grade nine, who was the complete opposite of me. And she wasn't into any of this, but we've just been best friends since grade nine. And anyway, she was kind of like my, my rock during this period. Mm -hmm. So in high school, in grade nine, I did the standard grade nine testing where they test you in English and math and in the math area, I was not performing well. But in English, I was operating at an OAC, which at that time was Ontario, like grade 13 at that level. And so the teachers met with my parents and they said that they needed to fast track me through high school as quickly as possible. And so Mm. starting in grade nine, I was put into some grade 10 classes. And then in grade 10, I was put in grade 11 classes. And regard like either way, I kind of skipped most of grade 11 and grade 12 and was fast tracked through high school, which was not not a good plan. <laughs> no. Like, yeah. Academically, I guess I could handle it, but socially, no, no, it was not a good place for me to be in. So we brush it off as being that rebellious high school phase, but I can feel it today at 39 years old with the same power that I felt it at 15. And I, all I wanted was somebody to talk to me about it. I even wrote for a, a high school religion class. I wrote about my atheism. I wrote about hating God and I got an A plus on it. And my teacher was a mm. former seminarian. Like I look back now and I'm like, why didn't you pull me aside and ask me about why I felt that way about God? I, every time we did a school mass, of course I didn't get up and go to confession. Um, and I didn't receive the Eucharist and I was a full on atheist by that point. And the chaplain wouldn't talk to me like nobody. They just ignored the signs. And all Mm. I wanted was somebody to ask me how I was doing. I started university two years younger than everybody else. And but I've, this is the other thing too. I've always looked my age, like I've always looked old. I've always looked 40. <laughs> I can, we can put a picture in the show notes. So here I am. I'm a very, very young girl. And I didn't, I don't realize how young I was until I look at my own daughter who's 13 now. But when, when you're a 17 year old in university now, when I was 17 and I started university, I, like I said, I was two years younger than everybody else. That is the common age to start university now because they got rid of mm, the last year. And right. so, right. And um, so I was two years younger than everybody else. But the thing is, so I'm younger emotionally and I also look like a grown woman. I have enough makeup on that I look. So I'm treated like a woman mm. and I'm thrust into a more adult situation and I'm working. And um, at that time, I was in a very long-term relationship with a guy. I was 17, but we were practically living together. And I just was like living the life of a 30-year-old, like, but I was not mm. ready to live the life of a 30-year-old, right? At this time too, I was not a nice person at all. I wasn't kind and I didn't want to be kind. I wanted to be hard and tough and powerful and dominating. I thought that that's what strong women were. That's what I was taught from the culture is you like square your shoulders and go face to face with men. Do you know how many men I would literally try to fight, like actually fight? Like I would go face to face with because I just never wanted to be this pushover woman. And at the same time, I used my femininity and my young girl looks. I I don't want to say good looks because I don't want to be um, prideful, (laughs) but um, I had a lot of makeup on and I had some physical attributes that I played up. And again, this was like everything that I thought a woman was supposed to be. I wouldn't say I was a very kind person. And there's enough people out there that will say, yeah, you were kind of a 
<clears throat> bad word. And mm. so that's, I loved that. I prided myself on that. I got very good at being a very cruel woman. So I'm in university. I'm not a very good person. Um, and I keep meeting Christians, <laughs> like not Catholics, <laughs> but like Bible school attending Christians. Mm -hmm. And like keep meeting them. I mean, like Christians were crossing the street to come over to tell me about Jesus. <laughs> like it was happening a lot. And I was so disgusted. Like I did mm. not like Christians. I thought so this was not welcome attention. No, no. <laughs> I thought what fools they are, like especially mm. Christian women. I thought Christian women were so lame and so boring and so um, unintelligent and so weak. And so, oh, I just, I, I, I was physically repulsed by it. Like truly, I'm mm. not exaggerating. Wow. So I just had zero interest in Christianity. I wouldn't say I had zero interest in God, but like so many people, I didn't like his Christians, right? A lot of people were like, oh, it's not God. Yeah. It's a way the, to put it. Yeah. I didn't like his church. I didn't like, and again, actually I should separate this because I, I didn't really know this is heartbreaking for me to say as a Catholic now, but I don't feel like I met any Christians in Catholic school, like my whole time there. Mm. And it wasn't until I started meeting non-Catholic Christians from Bible school that I actually met Jesus loving Christians. And that was really my first encounter with them, despite having been in a Catholic school from the age of five until 17. So mm. I start meeting them and I'm like, ugh. But I kept hanging out with them because some of them were fun. And so I'd like, and again, I was trying to steal all the guys. So I'd go hang out with them. And mm. one of my friends from high school um, had been a strong Catholic and then started um, going to different non-denominational Christian churches and became essentially born again and was talking a lot about Jesus. And we were close friends and mm. I would just put up with it and we'd get into big debates, right? Only those big debates you get into when you're 18 and you're staying up late and you're having a sleepover yeah. and you're talking and we'd have those. And she kept saying like, I just want you to know Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, I just don't care. Like I just, mm. there's zero interest in here, but we were good friends and she just was relentless in, it, in a very polite and funny way to the point where I just found a note from her tucked in one of my university textbooks um, saying that forget about so-and-so that you have a crush on. There's one guy who will love you forever oh. <laughs> and his name is Jesus. Oh. Like she tucked oh, those my gosh. in my book, right? Yeah. At that time she gave me this little, um, unadorned wooden cross, just that it would fit in this palm of your hand. That's going to come in later in my story. But she gave me this little wooden cross and I knew she was praying for me, but mm -hmm. no interest. Okay. So Jesus, I guess, was fed up of trying to send Christians to me and that wasn't working. <laughs> so <laughs> one oh, night um, yes. I had a dream. And this is where people can think I'm crazy or not, but that's, it's fine. Sure. So, um, <laughs> in this dream, I was standing at the side of a very busy highway. So it was essentially the 401 here in Ontario mm -hmm. and the cars are zooming past and I'm standing there and I'm terrified, like I'm shaking and I know I have to cross the highway. I know I have to get to the other side, but I'm terrified of taking that first step. And suddenly there was a man beside me in the dream and he just led me across the road, like 
somehow we just mm. made it through all the cars without any trouble. And we get to the other side and we sit down and there's a group of people there and he sits down with us. And out of nowhere, this huge wolf came running at us and he had these big teeth and we were all very, very scared in the group. But the wolf came right up to the man and laid down calmly. And the man said, and I quote, because I've never forgotten his exact words, as I have tamed this wolf, so too will you be peaceful if you walk in my light. Hmm. Right. Wow. Um, oh my goodness. So okay. Done. I wake up and I'm Christian. Nope, I don't. I wake up <laughs> and I laid in bed and I remember looking at the ceiling and I said, okay, I hear you like loud and clear. Mm -hmm. I hear you. And I said, and I am not ready. I mm. do not want to become Christian. <laughs> you just imagine like someone in heaven. Well, did you use the wolf? <laughs> I used the wolf. <laughs> Still no. Somebody's in trouble up there. Yeah. Did he have his teeth out? Yeah, he had his teeth out. I mean, sure, everything went according to plan. Did Jesus actually talk to her? My guardian angel's up there getting in trouble or something. Yeah. Oh, it's hilarious. Yep. Okay, so so still no go though. No go. I am as stubborn. Mm -hmm. I'm still to this day one of the most stubborn people you'll ever meet. So I said, nice try, essentially, but come back later. Not interested. Don't want to be a Christian. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but I was shaken um, up. Like, I won't sure, pretend like yeah. I didn't stick with me. So I called that friend right away and she's like, oh my goodness, this is your St. Paul Damascus moment. I had no idea what she was talking about <laughs> because I had had the craziest thing is that that afternoon, a very bright light had actually almost knocked me out of the shower when I was showering, which sounds crazy oh, too. And yes. I jumped out wet and almost fell because I thought the power had like shorted yeah surged yeah and mm -hmm. so I remember telling her about that and then the dream and she's like oh, you're gonna become a Christian and I'm like no what no and so I just was in a weird place mm. now I had broken up with my boyfriend I'd been with for over two years and um this Christian friend I had had been talking to this guy online <laughs> Mm. And it was about 1998, 99, maybe. And uh, we started calling him internet boyfriend. And I thought he was going to kill her because the internet was still new. <laughs> and um, she and this guy decided that they were going to meet in person after a year of communicating online and on the phone. I met him too. And in typical bad Lindsay style, I wanted him. And I was actually there mm. with my boyfriend and I turned to my boyfriend and said, this guy is so awesome. I'm going to date him. And he's like, he is really awesome. I'm like, he's so awesome. I'm going to be with him. Like I just was an awful. Mm. So anyways, that guy was Jason. <laughs> Man. Oh, whoa. yeah. Whoa. Met my husband. Yeah, yeah. Twist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Wow. So yes. I meet Jason. <laughs> he is in school. He's doing his, at this time he was finishing his bachelor's of, um, theology and his original plan was to be ordained as an Anglican minister. So mm -hmm. he's at Bible school. Again, I'm not kidding. When I told you, I kept meeting people from Bible schools. And so I meet him. I had had the dream at this point, but I wasn't really committed to Christianity. And so I borrowed a copy of mere Christianity by CS Lewis to make sure I had in my room when he mm -hmm. came over to meet me. <laughs> So he could think I was reading C.S. Lewis. The thing with Jason is that 
when I met him, he was like the most charismatic fun guy ever. He had been like a Christian camp counselor and we had all been having a bonfire and he was like teaching everybody these fun Christian camp bonfire games. But then he snuck over and he bummed a cigarette off me. And I was like, oh, this guy's interesting. Like what? He's going to have a smoke with Mm -hmm. me? Like what? And him and I started talking and he started revealing a little bit about his own life. And I'm like, okay, whoa, like you're two different people here. And I found that incredibly Mm -hmm. intriguing at first. It's not intriguing later. Mm -hmm. And um, so Jason and I start dating. He at this time now has been accepted into a master's program at University of Toronto for a master's of divinity. And all week in school, he was learning about the faith. And then all weekend, he was hardcore partying in downtown Toronto. I lived an hour and a half away. And so we would take the bus between our two apartments all the time. And I started partying with him in Toronto. The thing is with Jason, he has never had a crisis of faith. He's always loved God. Like he's always trusted Mm. that God is real and that it's his, you know, he wants to have a relationship with Jesus. Like he's always had that. Now he's gone through great periods in his life where he's lived a very sinful life, but he always loved God. Like he always wanted to please God, a very much a fatherly relationship. And I didn't understand any of that. I just saw again, a hypocritical Christian, which is what I kept seeing. This is why I was so bothered by Christianity. I just saw so much hypocritical behavior Mm. and it was exemplified in him and my new boyfriend. And what I felt was interesting with us is that we could pray together because I was starting to become more interested in Christianity as I was starting to date him because he was answering some of my questions. For the first time in my life, I had somebody that answered Mm -hmm. my questions because he was educated in it. And we fought it out. Oh my goodness. We had so many fights about faith, but um, we could pray together and then we could go and party together in Toronto. Like we could kind of live in two different worlds, let's say. And that gets exhausting. Of all the things I am, I'm always true. Like I am who I am for good or for bad, right? Mm -hmm. Like when I was that Lindsay, I was that Lindsay, no matter if I was talking to my grandmother or a stranger or a priest or anybody, I was never hid who I was. I was always very authentic and I couldn't go on for much longer with Jason being inauthentic. I'm like, pick a lifestyle. Like, are you going to be a pastor Mm. or are Mm -hmm. you going to be a party boy? Like I'll support you in either one, but I just don't like you not being true to whatever you think you have to do. And this was a big theme in the first four years of our relationship. We dated for a long time before we got married and we fought all the time. We had nothing in common, nothing. Like, I don't even, (laughs) I don't know. I honestly, (laughs) right. And he says this too, like, we don't know why we were together. (laughs) I think we've always had a friendship for sure. And they're like, and he makes me laugh. But I don't know how we got through four years. And at one point, I think it came down to you either break up or you get married. So we got married (laughs) and there was no prep for getting married. We did no premarital counseling. We um, had no idea what marriage was. We, We were not attending any church regularly, despite the fact that he was now within the very last stages of being ordained. And I'll have to tell you that in my head, I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to be a pastor's wife. And I had this vision of being wearing big black sunglasses and a tight black skirt and like having a cigarette outside of my hand, like hanging out of my hand and like holding in church. A mar- no, well, at the back for doing a Bible study. Like this was oh. our Bible study night. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I was gonna be like, okay, okay come to the Bible just had study. To clarify. Yeah, that's right. Probably at church <laughs> though to too. Clarify. Yeah, like that was my idea of like, I guess I have to host Bible studies. Like it was so not in my realm oh. of understanding at all. But I do know that mm. I went out and bought, as I show on um, Instagram all the time, a set of dishes that I called my <laughs> pastor's wife collection. So I bought like 10 teacups and saucers right. and 10 dessert plates and two <laughs> serving platters. So I just made sure I had cute stuff for our house to be a pastor's wife, but zero, <laughs> zero connection to Jesus. Um, okay. Okay. So Got it. we're about Got to it. get married and it's based on nothing. So picture me as you're thinking, so me, right? The selfish, um, bossy, controlling, power-driven, rude me. And then I get married. Like, that's the woman I brought into that marriage. Mm. Uh, we had not talked about having children. I think we both could have cared less if we had had children. Uh, I was still, because we lived in the town where I grew up, I still had all my own friends my whole life. And he lived a life in Toronto. We were basically roommates uh, who, when mm. we were together, we would fight. Mm. At this time, too, he had been told by his bishop to take a year or two off to pay down his school debt before they would ordain him. So it put his ordination on hold, which was a crushing, crushing blow to him. He had mm. felt God's calling to be a minister since he was seven years old, and they questioned his calling. And it just, that was his only plan. He had no plan B. Like, that's all he went to school for. Wow. So now we're married He's not, he doesn't know what he wants to do. Um, I'm working in retail. Like we have no money. We have a, a, almost a hundred thousand dollars in debt. Mm. Things weren't good. So we have been married a year and in 2005, my maternal grandmother was dying and she was really the only practicing Catholic that I knew. And when she was in hospice care, she, she died hard, as we say, like it was a, a long nine days mm. of like, okay, it's going to be today. Okay. It's going to be today. Okay. It's going to be today. Like, right. It was just, it was a long time. And it ended up being this incredible time because all of my cousins, all of us were there. We had all, a lot of us were newly married, but there were no babies yet. So it was just like, we were all able to mm. leave our jobs and all be there at the hospice with her and reminisced. And my family is hilarious. So there was just a lot of laughing, even as she's dying. Like we were all joking over top of her <sighs> as she's dying. Cause that's just who she was too. This is a, a grandmother who would carry a fake egg in her purse and throw it at the other Catholic women's league old ladies and <laughs> pretend that she was going to throw an egg on them and then laugh so hard at them. <laughs> and so, right. I could tell a lot of stories about my <laughs> nanny. She was awesome. Um, so on her last night alive, Jason and I were staying over in her room. We slept there that night. I'd slept over a couple nights, but this happened to be her last night. And that morning at five o'clock in the morning, uh, she was making the horrible death sounds. There's a death rattle that people will know once they've heard it. Mm. And I was alone while well, Jason was snoring. So there's a, <laughs> there's a different kind of rattling happening over in the corner. Jason's snoring his brains out and I'm staring at my dying grandmother and it was torrential raining. I mean, like out of a movie, torrential raining outside and it's pitch black because it's November mm. and it's cold and it's damp and it's five in the morning. And there's only a very, very dim light on in her room and her eyes her eyes had looked almost blind. Like they'd almost, the very light blue had gone almost white and right. And she's yeah. gasping and it was just horrible. And I'm in there alone with her and I'm holding her hands and she's grasping at me. She was gesturing towards her rosary. Mm. I grab it and I'm like, Nanny, mm. you want your rosary? 
And the way she indicated it was that she didn't want to just hold it. She wanted me to pray it with her. And this is going to kill me mm. to say this, but, um, I started, I'm like, okay. So like I held it and I said a, two prayers. I didn't even know where to start with. I just said an our father. And then I realized I didn't know how to pray a rosary and I didn't know what to do. And she was so frantic that she just wanted somebody to pray the rosary with her. I put it down and I said, nanny, I'm so sorry. I can't do this. And I left the room and I went outside for a cigarette. Mm. I was still smoking at that time and was bawling outside and just this really emotional moment. And I look back now and I just think, oh my goodness, like all she wanted was somebody to pray the rosary with her. And I couldn't give her that. And that's something I've really had to try to deal with. And one of the reasons why I have such a strong devotion to the rosary now, but that was a big changing point for me. And our priest kept coming in and he would administer the sacraments to her. And he was so great with our family and he was so great to her and he'd come in on his own. We didn't have to call. She was, you know, a, a beloved member of her church community. Mm -hmm. And he was just so loving. And I remember watching her dying and it was such a beautiful death. It was such a beautiful death because she was surrounded by her family. She had received the sacraments. Um, her priest knew her and that's what struck me at her funeral. He knew her name where he didn't have to look down at a book because she had never gone to mass and he didn't know mm -hmm. what her name was. He spoke about her from his own heart. And I remember being struck by that and thinking, well, I want that. Like I want the priest to know mm -hmm. who I am one day. But that, I kind of shelved that again, right? So she died. We buried her. I put all those emotions aside. Okay. So one night, Jason and I, who had not wanted kids, one night, uh, without being too vulgar, decided to throw caution to the wind and see if we could get pregnant. <laughs> and I I don't okay. want, uh, being a pro-life Catholic now and a friend of so many women who have experienced so much infertility and loss, I, I am not making light of this, but I need you to understand what our headspace was like at that time. And, um, I got pregnant that night and that did not go well. My marriage continued to spiral out of control, uh, during the pregnancy. Jason was not connected to me. We fought every single day. He wouldn't come home or he'd be super late. Um, I just turned more and more to my own parents and which bothered him more and more because one of his things was that I was always, I never felt, felt like I left my house. I, I always turned to everybody else but him first. And that really bothered him. Obviously, he's supposed to be my husband. And I would call, mm -hmm. I'd run to my mom mm -hmm. for everything. And, and there's nothing wrong with being close with your parents. I'm still very close with my mom. But I turned first to everybody but him. And that, so it's that self feeding cycle because he would turn further away and then I would turn back to the people that did care about me. And we had no idea what to expect when this baby was born. So we have the baby and I was still absolutely shocked that they just put a baby in your arms and send you home from the hospital and you have to keep this human alive. <laughs> Good luck. Right. And it's I was true. right. And I'm holding her and I'm like, okay, like you, I have to literally keep you alive. Like this is the biggest challenge of my life. And Jason was back to work yeah. <laughs> within a few days and I just didn't know what I was supposed to feel. And then um, a couple of days into him being at work, I held her in my arms and I had music on and the song, my girl came on. And so I was holding her and mm -hmm. I was singing it. And then I looked at her and then the song was happening. And then I looked at her again and then, yeah, oh. my heart literally exploded. <laughs> like for the first Oh, time my in my life, I loved something and someone more than myself. 
And I softened because I was a very icy person and I warmed, I actually warmed up a bit and I loved my baby and I sobbed over top of her. Like I was sobbing all over her face and I was like, you're my girl. You're my girl. I love you so much. And I, I used to think, and I've said this before that when my friends would talk about their babies, I used to think they were lying. Like they had, they they felt like they had to say Mm. how much they loved their kids. And I think this is important to share because for our listeners who aren't pro-life Catholics who are having eight or nine babies who are like, I don't know about all this baby thing. I was like you. Like I honestly Mm. thought women felt that they had to talk about how great their kids were and like hang their drawings up at work because they had to. I get now that you do that because you actually love your kids. It's a crazy thing. Thing. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I fell in love with Charlotte, but during this time, the gulf between me and Jason grew larger and larger because Charlotte was um, very clingy to me, did not want to be held by her dad. So then I had, would start having these fantasies of like a Gilmore girl's life. Like I started for a long time. I had this mm. hidden in my heart where I could retreat to this future where it could be Charlotte and I sharing a one bedroom apartment and on our own it was very dark. And then when Charlotte was 13 months old, we had a great weekend and boom, we thought, let's have another baby. Oh, right. Yep. And this happens to a lot of people where you have a good couple days and you think, Hey, I really like you. <laughs> let's have another baby. And boom, I got pregnant again. And it, it got even worse. It got so bad. And, uh, Jason was really keen on making it work at this time. And I wasn't, I was done and he started to change and I started to see a transformation happening. And Jason wrote me a letter at that time where he said, one day I want to make you the proudest woman ever. I want you to be so proud of me. This made me reflect back on a time where I had been praying early on in a relationship. If I was supposed to be married, if I was supposed to be with him And at that time I had been new to praying and I didn't even know if I was praying right, but I kept saying, God, am I supposed to be with this man? Am I supposed to be with this man? And the craziest thing happened at that time. I was working in a retail store and we had had a really bad blizzard and nobody had been in the store all day. So I, and I had that little wooden cross that I talked about earlier and it had been in my apron pocket Mm. at work and it was pressed into my palm and I was doing circles around the perimeter of the store and just saying, Lord, am I supposed to be with him? Am I supposed to be with him? Nobody was coming in. And at about seven o'clock that night, the door, the doors open. And like, I'm not, this like out of a movie where the snow blows in and the snow blew in and this man comes in with a cane and a big beard. And I lock eyes with him and I said, Oh, hello. Like what brings you in? And he's like, Oh, just looking around. And then I went over to talk to him further as we were trained to do in retail. And I went over to find out what really brought Mm -hmm. him in. And he said, Oh, I'm a priest. I'm a Jesuit priest. And I went, oh, I said, well, I was raised Catholic. And I said, well, I'm marrying Mm -hmm. a guy who is going to be um, a minister. And he said, well, holy men have a lot of problems, don't they? And I went, oh, yeah, they do. Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, I counsel holy men now. And I'm, I'm a psychologist for them. I said, oh, wow. And he said, I am supposed to tell you that you are supposed to be with him. And I'm like, what? And I start bawling (laughs) in the store. Whoa. Right. And he's like, you have been given extra strength to carry him right now. And if you carry him, he will carry you for the rest of your life. 
and I'm a mess. And then my coworkers are like, are you okay? Thinking this man's like attacking me. And I'm like, oh. I'm okay, I'm okay. And all of them were atheists at this point. And I'm like, not even sure I'm a Christian. So I don't even know what's going on. And I wasn't going to explain it to them. So he said, can I pray with you? And I said, yes. And he put his hands on my hands. And it was, I think the first time I had ever been prayed with. And, uh, and he left mm -hmm. now, Jason, if Jason were sitting here, he'd like to point out that the man did leave me in his email address. So Jason's like, he's not an angel. He had an email address, <laughs> but I'll have, you know, <laughs> I was going to say after one, yes, I'm like, say I've seen it's yes. wonderful life. I feel like this has happened before. Yeah. Having watched a lot of Highway to Heaven recently, I mean, he's had addresses in that show. So, I mean, oh, yeah. there's there's That's there's hilarious. no way that this man didn't have some kind of divine connection. Okay. Mm, so jumping mm -hmm. back to this pregnancy with our second baby. And at that time, I kept reflecting back on that man. And I'm like, I feel like I'm supposed to be with Jason, but this is no marriage. Like there's nothing here. Mm -hmm. And, um, so as the, as the pregnancy was progressing, little did I know that Jason had been considering Catholicism and he had been a lifelong Anglican. He had been raised going to church every single weekend. His parents were very involved in the church. Brief background that I have Jason's permission to share. His father was raised Catholic in a very Catholic family. And his father then became Anglican when he married his mother. And so mm -hmm. Jason, comes from Catholic roots, but knew nothing about any of that when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. All he knew was a very happy Anglican. Mm -hmm. And so the thing is, Jason had always been drawn a little bit to the Virgin Mary. And even in his dorm room, when we were dating at his Anglican seminary, he had a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary and, um, and a rosary hanging around it. So mm -hmm. I think she was always there because he has such a devotion to her now. I think truly she has been his mother um, yes. since obviously long before he knew that. But at this time, he had started listening to YouTube videos by a then lesser known Father Baron, <laughs> now Bishop Baron. Oh yes. my gosh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and this is back in 2008. And I remember hearing the opening of every one of those videos coming from our home office. And it was like, dude, 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 I can't do it. Dude, dude. Like the opening of the videos, and I was getting angry. Every time I'd hear that, I was getting angrier and angrier. Cause I'm like, now, in my head, I'm thinking now what you're going to become Catholic. Like what I'm Catholic as I, mm. which again, I wasn't right. And you were struggling already with, you know, you said like in, in the past, he, he kind of had, um, interests yes. and fingers in yes. many different circles. Right. So to you at this point, you'd be like That's another exactly one, like, yeah. Right. Another phase. Okay. Like this is just mm -hmm. who you're going to be now because it always mm -hmm. felt like he was putting on characters. Right. And I said that to him. I'm like, so this is who you are now. Like our marriage is falling apart and, and you're putting your attention into becoming Catholic. Like what? So I didn't know this, but he had been praying for about two weeks that if God wanted him to become Catholic, that someone would put a rosary in his hand. And we were visiting mm -hmm. um, family and um, I won't get into too many of the details, but someone um, very unlikely put a rosary in his hand, had just come back from a vacation and said, oh, Jason, I picked this up for you. And it was completely out of the mm -hmm. blue. And he, the look on his face, and I didn't know that he'd been praying this. So he grabbed me and pulled me aside and he's like, um, I have to become Catholic. It was just like matter of fact like that. And he hadn't been talking to me about <laughs> wow. any of this. So I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, I have to become Catholic now. I'm like, oh, oh, what? So he said, well, which, which church should we go to? And I'm like, well, the only one I can think of was my childhood church where I had done my, um, 
sacraments and it mm-hmm. happened to be right behind our house that we were living in. So we call them up and I had never heard of this new priest that was there. And I was a little bit sad. It wasn't the last priest I'd heard of being there. And we go mm-hmm. meet with him about Jason becoming Catholic. And as soon as we go in and sat there, we poured out everything to this priest and he ended up being the absolute right priest at the right time. And he was yes. everything God knew that we needed, but it wasn't that simple still. Right. But I sat there mm-hmm. and poured my guts out and bawled and him and Jason really got talking about Jason's um, coming into the church. And if he would need RCIA, considering he had um, a master's degree of divinity and all this kind of thing, they were hammering out those details. And I was trying to figure out where do I fit in? Like, am I going to become Catholic? Because yeah. I had never yeah. really been Catholic, like really. Right. That's interesting that your, your thought was, am I going yeah, to become it really Catholic? Was. And and yeah, forgetting that you, you yes. were baptized yep. as a and child. And had received my sacraments. Yeah. And it was truly mm-hmm. like, am I going to convert like to Catholicism alongside Jason? Wow. It was never an idea of going home to the Catholic church. So mm-hmm. I just kind of let Jason meet with the priest and they had several meetings leading up to him being welcomed into the church as a Catholic. And I was there for that that night and felt very proud of him and emotional and was already starting to feel like a part of the church myself because we had started going to mass every Sunday mm-hmm. at that time. And then we had the baby in October. So this was August. And then we had the baby October 1st and it all fell apart again. <laughs> so, oh. but at this time, Jason was new. He was made new mm-hmm. and he had gone to confession and he will tell people about this, that it was the single most transformative, um, transformative thing he's ever experienced where he felt a physical lifting of sin off of him. And wow. yeah. So how can you mm. not be a new person? He was a new person, right? He, he, mm-hmm. he was, I hate to say born again, but he was, <laughs> there was a death and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more later because we both went through a death. Mm-hmm. And I saw that in him, but I was so hesitant to trust this change Mm -hmm. and I wasn't changing yet. Um, I was just, I was simmering in a lot of emotions and a lot of anger and a lot of resentment and a lot of stubbornness and unwilling to change. So at this time, um, we were going to mass every Sunday, but we had no idea what we were doing. (laughs) We were so poorly catechized that we were still pretty much Monday to Saturday living a non-Catholic life and then going to mass on Sundays. But there was a difference in our hearts. Like I, I desired to know God for the first Mm. time in my life. I desired Mm. to draw closer to Mary and to Jesus, but I had no understanding. I acknowledged with my intellect that Jesus was present in the Eucharist. I remember that. And I acknowledged with my intellect that the church's teachings on things were correct, but I didn't accept all of those teachings yet at that time. But I had made the conscious decision that if I was going to be attending mass and that we were going to finally baptize our kids, because we hadn't baptized Charlotte, because again, I didn't want to be a hypocritical Christian. So Mm. when we had deacon, we were going to then baptize the kids together. And because because I am of, I'm like I said, very authentic. I knew that if I was going to go ahead and have my children baptized, then I better accept the church, um, the church's teachings as truth. But I didn't personally believe them all. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. I'm trusting in the process of the Catholic church, but I still rejecting some of the teachings myself. 
Okay. So we went along, along like with life like this and we just slowly rebuilt our marriage and things started to get good. Things started to get really good. And we had to, like I was saying earlier, die to ourselves for the first time ever. Like <laughs> we didn't even learn what that means. Like, what does that language mean? There was a night and, um, I remember it was about 11 o'clock at night and I was still sweeping the kitchen and I've told the story before and I might've told it on the podcast, but I was sweeping the kitchen and Jason was sitting, having a beer and I was sweeping angrily. Have you ever swept angrily, Michelle? <laughs> oh yeah. The, the rage sweep. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Familiar with that. Uh -huh. That's right. And I was doing that and I'm mumbling inside my head going, oh, and of course you get to sit again, right? I've been up with these two kids and I work too. Mm. And, blah, blah, blah. and, uh, and I was so angry and I felt something in me say, offer him another beer. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is the complete opposite of what my conscience normally says. Like, normally that can't I go, be right. Right. No, no. Sorry. Say that again. <laughs> and, so I normally, normal Lindsay would go in there and rage on him, would go in there and get angry and lecture my husband about everything that he was doing wrong and everything I was doing right. Because that's the woman I was. That's the, who I was mm. for years. And this new voice was like, offer him a beer. And I'm like, that's ridiculous, but okay. <laughs> so I did. I, I popped my head around the corner and I had to use the fakest voice ever. I'm like, would you like another beer? Because Michelle, honestly, I didn't even have a nice voice. Like I, my default was not a nice tone of voice. I wasn't a nice person. <laughs> So I was like, how do I speak nice? Like I didn't know what to do. <laughs> Would you like another beer? And he like his jaw hit the ground <laughs> and he looked up stunned and he's like, oh my gosh, are you still cleaning the kitchen? That was his answer. And I'm like, oh yeah, I, I am. It's okay. Like, do you want another beer? And he goes, oh, let me help you. And I'm like, what just mm. happened? What just, what just happened? And I realized then he isn't ignoring like he isn't doing this deliberately he just honestly was exhausted and he had no idea i was still cleaning like it's not that he was without blame and yes he should have noticed right but it wasn't mm. a deliberate and malicious attack on me like i was always the victim right mm -hmm. and i'm like oh like he just honestly is trying to unwind and he's tired and he's probably wondering like why am i not unwinding because that's the men do they're really good at going i'm not feeling well i'm gonna lay yes. down and they just do it yeah <laughs> i'm going to bed and they just go to bed and right. they're not second guessing it or playing any mental games here they're just doing that and then they're like why mm -hmm. don't you just sit down like you don't have to sweep the kitchen come sit down anyways i mm -hmm. this was like this broadening of my mind it was this huge moment where i'm like try to think about other people Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, I decided I actually had to make a conscious decision at that point to start to treat Jason differently. I ended up having to quit my job at that same time because Charlotte had severe um, eye issues and needed about five hours of visual therapy a day. And Deacon wasn't speaking until his, he was almost four. And so he mm. was taking a lot of speech language pathology and stuff. And so the kids really needed me. And we had heard Charlotte praying in her bed and she was about uh, three, three or four years old. And she didn't know we heard her. And I heard her say, dear God, can you have my mom and dad sit on the same couch on the same day? And wow. 
Yeah, my heart got ripped huh. out because we never used babysitters. And so we always worked every single day opposite each other. And so um, I started being home with our kids and I fell in love with that lifestyle. And I remember the first time I made dinner for him because I never cooked. That's the other thing mm. too. When we got married, I always said, listen, you'll have a clean house, but I'm never going to cook. Like you can open your own can of chunky soup. That was always our joke. <laughs> <laughs> I remember making that first meal when the kids were home with me and I remember putting on music like jazz music and he came home and I had candles lit and music on and the kids were happy and he was like, what is this? <laughs> and I'm, and I got really excited. I remember getting butterflies in my tummy for him coming home for the first time ever. I was like anticipating his reaction to whatever meal I put down on the table. And I started to feel like there was great value in this role. And he started to rise to the occasion of wanting to provide more money and more stuff for us as the provider. He started working a little bit more, but not so much that he was a workaholic, but like mm. he rose to the challenge of being the sole provider. Now, what is really important to note here is that this is nothing short of a miracle. Because I have known a lot of marriages and the fact that Jason and I slowly started to soften towards each other and into our new roles in such an easy way, considering the bumpy road we had been down is nothing short of God's grace. Like I, nobody travels like that at the same time where we both start turning towards each other at the same time. It, it, mm -hmm. I can't believe that that happened. That's the one thing we talk about all the time when we look back on it is the fact that God helped us journey together towards. So our hearts really started to soften towards each other and we kept going to mass. And so while I can sit here and say, well, we were only Catholics on Sunday, we weren't learning anything. We weren't really getting anything out of mass. Yeah. Those things were true, but obviously the power of the sacraments uh, were working mm. in us um, because we were starting to become transformed. In 2010, now uh, Charlotte is almost four, Deacon's almost two, and I am almost 30. And boom, I have my own breakdown. <laughs> oh. I... <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> All of my pent up things that I'd still not fully dealt with and I'd pushed down all came out in the summer before I turned 30. And I think that some of it had to do with the fact that I had been with Jason since I was 19. I had mm -hmm. felt like I was an adult since I was 15. And then I didn't have my twenties at all. I was married mm -hmm. and having babies. I like a lot of our listeners. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like I had already been an adult for a very long time. And when I was about to turn 30, it kind of really hit me that I'm about to be 30. And I, in my head, I was done with children because again, we weren't catechized. So we didn't know that we really shouldn't be contracepting. And I'd had a boy and a girl and I'd had my body back. I was like thinner than I had ever been. I was feeling fantastic and loved my life, loved my life apart from Jason and my kids too much and just mm. went down my own path of partying and making unwise decisions and just really not being a good role model for my little children. It just got really bad. And in that moment, Jason showed me a type of mercy that I was never capable of showing him. And it was the first time I witnessed real Christian love in action and how Christ loves us and how he is ready to love me through my husband. I'd never seen anything like that. And it was a very challenging, and this is where 
like Fulton Sheen says, you know, sometimes the only way our Lord can get into our hearts is to break them. Well, my heart had been broken over and over again, but this was the final time I was really knocked down. Like I, my knees were broken. Like essentially I was on my knees now and feeling my desire for God in a way that I had never felt before, because all along, I still felt like I was doing things. I was controlling it, that I had the power and that I needed to seek out the power and take control all along. I was fighting God in that. And all along, he was just like, I need you to see how much you need me. (laughs) (laughs) And so he kept allowing painful things to keep happening to me. And I call it our, my decade of darkness. It really was 10 years from the age of 20 to 30 uh, of a lot of pain, of unimaginable pain, of things that break most people in most marriages. And um, I couldn't see why this God that I was trying to seek out would let this all happen to me. And it wasn't until much later that I now thank him. I thank God daily for those 10 years of darkness because I wouldn't have looked for him. I wouldn't have. And so again, at this time, we're, we're still attending the Novus Ordo Mass at our regular parish. And so we really looked into what it meant to be open to life and if I should be contracepting. And so we decided to stop all that and got pregnant and had the most incredible pregnancy. So I had had two very emotionally trying pregnancies, right? And this one, from the minute I conceived this baby, he he's still to this day, he's my sunshine. Like he's like this blondie ginger haired kid that radiates golden rays of light. Like he just, <laughs> that's who he is. And he was like that from the moment he was conceived. I could feel like this glowing happiness of joy, this ball truly of a bundle of joy growing within me. Wow. And Jason and I were so united in this pregnancy and just so excited. And the other kids were excited. And wonderfully at the same time, well, this is actually incredibly bittersweet because his mother's passing um, allowed us the little bit of money she was able to leave for us, um, allowed us to pay off the rest of our debt and then move um, finally out of our Mm. ghetto townhouse that we called ghetto townhouse that we did own. We owned it for seven years. Um, We were able finally to move and to buy the dream house that we always considered our dream house, just the little house we're in now, but it was like such a representation for us of what we were coming out of and what we were leaving. And when we, on the last day in that old house, that house was filled with ghosts, if I can say that, and not in a weird supernatural way. Like Mm -hmm. all of the fights, all of the pain, all of the crying, all of that was bottled up in that house. And we looked at each other and we're like, it stays here. We're not bringing any of this with us to the new house. And we started fresh. Mm. And at the very same time, my husband decided to try the traditional Latin mass. And I went with him. He went first time on his own without me and the kids. And then he brought us. And I, (laughs) within a minute of the opening bars of chant, Mm. felt my whole body covered in goosebumps. I had never experienced anything like this. And I... There was immediately within me a feeling that I had come home for the first time ever in my life. I knew without a shadow of a doubt that we were exactly where we were supposed to be now and that Catholicism is 100% true and that it is ancient and new. And it was just, I had, it was like a deposit of faith 
in one like one of those miraculous deposits of faith. Like I had an understanding mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of the church that I had never had before within seconds of the mass starting. Like I just it it, wow. it changed everything for me. It was the most crazy experience and I turned to him like this is it. Like and so when, when we go back to when I was that 15-year-old girl and I was so hungry for the supernatural what mm-hmm. I was looking for was the extraordinary, right? And yes. we call that mass the extraordinary form. And mm-hmm. I was searching for something that said to me that we are not of this world and that there's something else waiting for us and that we are set apart and that we are different and that um, that there that there is a power out there that we can, I guess, tap into, but it's God. Like it's not within mm-hmm. me. The power doesn't right. come from me. The power comes from from God and he has adopted me as his daughter and that I share in that, that, that relationship with him. And I just, all of that hunger that I had for that in high school, that was so misdirected and looking everywhere else for it, I found in the traditional Latin mass. And I'm not saying that it is not present at the Novus Ordo. I am not saying that at all. I'm just saying that the way the liturgy is organized there. And like we've talked before with our Lent episode with the smells and bells, right? The You were talking about the bells mm-hmm. and the incense, all of those things. It tapped into that supernatural side of me. It helped me understand with my body and my intellect that something supernatural is happening at the mass. Mm-hmm. And... I just, that was it. So the, I found, I found over the years that people who attend their first traditional Latin mass, they either are terrified and they never come back or they go home and they start Googling it because they want to know what they're seeing. Like, why is this happening? Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so different than what we've grown up with. And so we were the people who started Googling it. And for the first time ever in our relationship, and we had been together 12 years at that point, Jason and I had a common um, interest right? We had nothing in common mm-hmm. before. We didn't like the same music. We didn't like the same books. We didn't like the same TV shows. Suddenly we're, we were both really into the mass. And so we started Googling it together and sharing articles with each other. And he'd come home from work and I'd be like, but did you read this? And we would listen to videos together. And it was the mass that really unified our marriage because we fell in love with it together. And again, that was a, a grace from God, 100%. Again, I know many marriages and I know many of you are listening where you're on that journey alone, where you have fallen in love with the mass in a whole new way. And your husband is not with you on that or vice versa. And you're mm-hmm. like, why am I going through this alone? And so I know that that's very common in a lot of marriages and um, ours was a very unique situation. Now, that being said, we had been to hell and back. So it's not like we didn't put in 10 years Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. absolute torment. Um, So it's like that when we finally turned outside of ourselves and our own desires and our own shortcomings and everything we were nitpicking about each other, when we turned away from that and both towards God at the same time, God was able to fill our marriage with something brand new. And I want to say too, we had been married in the Anglican church back in 2004. When we did finally have our kids baptized in 2008, we did have to have a convalidation ceremony. So Mm -hmm. our marriage was made Catholic um, in 2008. I feel like God saw all of our efforts, no matter how measly they were, even just attending mass those Sundays, right? Those early Mm -hmm. years when we're starting to go to mass, when we didn't fully understand, he saw all of that and he banked that all. Like you and I talk all the time about, he'll just take the smallest thing we can try to give him 
Mm-hmm. And he knows like children that we don't know what we're doing, that my, you know, my child will make the bed because I've asked him to, maybe not because he doesn't, he doesn't understand the role in our house and why it's important that he helps with the chores, but he'll do it because I asked him to. So a lot of what I did at the beginning was out of obedience, wasn't out of a love for God, wasn't out of a desire to please him. It wasn't even out of a fear of hell. It was because I was obedient. And I think that that was a common theme throughout my development in the faith is that I always sought obedience and God always rewarded that always. That was Jason and I, as we were going into that. And, um, and then we knew with the third baby that we wanted a fourth baby. And, um, so we were blessed with a fourth baby and that we did not take that for granted at all. And so we had this new family and we were new people and a new marriage and a new home and a new church community that welcomed us with open arms, despite the fact that I was dressed like completely immodestly and we had no idea what we were doing. And, um, they didn't judge us at all. They, that Latin mass community just was so incredible from the early, and we had, we were one of the only families with the young babies there mm. and they were so incredible, um, journeying alongside us. That's where we're at now. That was in 2012. It's now 2020. And we just grew deeper and deeper in our faith. And as soon as we turned our attention towards God, God renewed our marriage and renewed everything. And I am so in love with my husband in a way that I didn't even think was possible in those early days. It's like, I just, and he feels the same way. We just are so made new. And just, we see each other now as God sees us in our marriage. There is a peace and a joy in my family that anybody that has gotten to know us over the last couple of years comments on, that there is a feeling in our house. And I cry almost daily still because Mm -hmm. I know what the feeling was in our house before that. And it was so dark. And it's been eight years now of this pure joy and 10 years really of our marriage getting better. And not for one second am I ever going to forget where we came from. And that God was never away from us during that period. I see that now. I see that when I had no connection to him, when I wasn't turning to him, he was still right there. He was just waiting. Mm. (laughs) And he is so patient with us. And I didn't want to know him, but he knew me. And he knew it was a long-term commitment on God's part too, because he really invested in Jason and I and knew that we would come around to him. It just took us a really long time. Mm -hmm. And now that we're there, um, you know, when you come through things that we've come through, there's no going back. And I just want to grab everybody and be like, I know how to fix what you're going through. (laughs) I've been there. So yeah, we have these beautiful kids. I, um, I ended up homeschooling. So I went from like a Wiccan feminist, pagan, angry, no, I didn't want kids woman to like a traditional Catholic veiling homeschool mom. And, (laughs) and we would have had as many children as God would have blessed us with, but he blessed us with only four. And that's all sadly that we can have physically, but we have four beautiful children and we are just so thankful every day for every single thing that happened to us good and bad and that's it now we just praise and worship him for everything he's done for us well Lindsay, on behalf 
of myself and everyone else who has had the chance to listen to your amazing story. Thank you for having the courage to share it with us today. And if anyone out there has listened to Lindsay's story and would like to talk, would like to get in touch with Lindsay, or just have someone to speak to, please feel free to reach out to us. And you can find us on our website at www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com. You can also leave us a comment or a private message on Facebook or Instagram at The Modern Lady Podcast. And you can find me on my Instagram account at mmsachs. And you can absolutely contact Lindsay at her Instagram account at Lindsay Homemaker. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a great week and we will see you next time. Thank you.